Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and insider information on all of the newest releases that I have read and recommend. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. If you love to read, please consider joining my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month, one where I talk about the next month's most anticipated books and one where I chat with an independent bookseller all about their store and the books that they recommend. In addition, I host a monthly early read where members have advanced access via NetGalley to a digital copy of a book, and then we meet on Zoom with the author pre-publication to chat about that book. January's book is The Sweet Spot by Amy Popel, and for February there are two, Lauren Willig's new book, Two Wars and a Wedding, and a debut by Lee Abramson called A Likely Story. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, Marsha Smart joins me to talk about her new cookbook, Dinner is Done. Marsha is a culinary instructor, recipe developer, and food writer, and the owner of Smart in the Kitchen and Smart in the Kitchen School. Through Smart in the Kitchen, Marsha teaches cooking classes, culinary team building events, and cooking retreats. She blogs about meal planning, easy weeknight recipes, and healthy family dinners at smartinthekitchen.com. I have been friends with Marsha for years, and I was thrilled to pieces to get to chat with her about her new cookbook. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Welcome, Marsha. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. We have known each other for quite some time from when our kids were little at day school together. And I just think it is so wonderful that you now have this cookbook coming out. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about it and so proud of it. So before we talk about Dinner is Done, let's talk about your history and how you got started working in food and wanting to produce a cookbook and doing everything that you do. So can you kind of back up and start from the beginning? Yes, I will share my story from the beginning. Um, And a cookbook really is something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. So after college, I started working at Parenting Magazine in New York, and I was an editorial assistant and wrote a lot about health. And there was a food editor, food writer on staff. And I was so fascinated by everything she did and the cookbooks that she helped produce for Parenting Magazine and the recipes she tested. And 
I just realized that if I wanted to get that type of job in the magazine world, I was going to have to go to culinary school. So I left New York and moved back to California to San Francisco. And I went to a French professional program there that was six months. And we cooked every day from eight to five and made a lot of bread and a lot of pastries. But I learned certain fundamentals that I still teach today. And in the process of going to school, I always volunteered to help the visiting chefs that would come teach special classes for us. And then after school was finished, the owner was looking for someone to teach an evening basics series. And she asked me if I would be interested. And I was excited to do that because I I never pictured myself being a cooking teacher, but I loved doing it. So I ended up doing that evenings and I worked as a food editor during the day for a San Francisco food magazine. And then a few years later, my husband came home one day and said he had this job opportunity in Houston, Texas. And I had never been to Houston or to Texas, I don't think. And so off we went. And it was a whole new chapter for me because I really knew the food community in San Francisco and the editors and the writers. And I freelanced a lot for other publications. So I was I was sad to leave that and and move to Houston, but I found this whole other market, I feel like is the best word for it in Houston, of people interested in cooking who might want to take cooking classes and learn recipes that were easy and quick and that tasted good that they could make for their families. So my cooking class business grew. And eventually I launched my blog, which is called Smart in the Kitchen in 2015, and just started teaching more and more cooking classes as word of mouth grew. I've never really advertised. Come COVID, all of this was kind of at its apex. Like we were doing, I was doing a lot of cooking classes, corporate cooking classes, group cooking classes, demos. I was doing TV at least once a month locally and traveling to do other TV spots. And then COVID happened and all of the in-person cooking classes stopped. And eventually I figured out a way to teach cooking classes on Zoom. And we started an online cooking school called Smart in the Kitchen School. And I now have members that cook with me monthly. And we have other courses that we run through that online cooking school. And I feel like really it was one of the biggest silver linings for me about COVID is that it forced me out of my comfort zone to learn new technology and to reach more people. It's so interesting because as I've watched your business grow, I feel like it has paralleled mine so much because I started around 2015 on Instagram and then started kind of growing my business, moved online, obviously with the pandemic as well, launched the podcast. So as I've watched you and seen what you're doing and seen what I've been doing, I think in totally different industries, we've kind of had a similar path. Yes, that's so funny because I was thinking the same thing recently. And it's so fun for me to see women my age, like, you know, after that midlife mark that are still learning new things and pushing themselves out of their comfort zone to just put themselves out there. I agree. And it is so encouraging to see that. And I have absolutely loved 
starting what I'm doing and continuing to add to it and having it be something that I enjoy so much as well as having it be something that I spend a lot of time doing, you know, versus my first career, which I liked fine, but it was so time consuming. I just love what I do now, even though it is time consuming, I don't mind doing it at all. I mean, I enjoy it. Yes. Like I'm sure you have some days where you're doing something and you stop for a second and you're like, I can't believe this is my job. Like, this is so fun. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, people all the time are like, you read for your work. And I'm like, I do. So, and I know you feel the same way. And I have taken your cooking classes in the past and I've seen you speak at countless groups. And in fact, I did four different book talks over the last week, recommending books for the holidays. I always do a bunch around this time of the year and a bunch in the spring for summer reading. And every single group I spoke to said, oh, she's spoken to our group. And I was like, oh, I, I, this is exactly what I was talking about. Marsha and I are on similar paths. A par- we're on a parallel um, Houston circuit. Exactly. <laughs> well, now let's dive into our conversation about Dinner is Done. I just think it is such a beautiful cookbook. And I've just gotten my hands on it recently and I can't wait to use it. But can you just tell me a little more about it? And we can talk about the ins and outs and how it came about. Just kind of your quick pitch for the cookbook. Yes. So I can tell you the main focus of this book is to help people get dinner made. The mission of my business is to help home cooks get dinner on the table. And my hope is that in the process, there are more family dinners that happen and more moments of calm in people's lives. And I know that cooking for some people can be stressful or can be sort of a cloud that follows you around during the day. Like, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? And I wanted it to be the type of book that you would turn to again and again for those weeknight dinner meals. And they're all very quick recipes. Nothing should take more than an hour to get dinner on the table. And a lot of the recipes are much faster than that, but they're delicious. There's a ton of vegetables. They're healthy without being super, it's not a health focused cookbook, but they just happen to be recipes that I like. So they have a lot of good whole ingredients and they're divided in a way that you can search for meatless mains. You can search for fish recipes, obviously all the regular, you know, chicken, beef, but the way I organize my meal plan every week is around a sort of rubric of how I organize my dinners for my family. And it's usually soups or something like a stew on Sundays, a meatless entree, an instant pot or a slow cooker meal. So I wanted that variety in there for people to be able to pull from. But I also wanted some things that were fun and a little bit of a treat, like I have some breakfasts and dessert kind of hybrid recipes that either you could make at night and they're not going to take up too much time to have a little treat. And then that whole chapter, I wanted each one of those recipes to be not so sweet or indulgent that you couldn't have it with your morning coffee as like a little breakfast treat. Like the shortbread cookies are called melting moments in the book. Those are from my husband's grandmother. And they're just really easy, simple shortbread cookies that you roll and cut and bake. But I love having one of those during the holidays or like a little coffee treat in the morning. And I wanted to share those type of recipes that like might serve a dual purpose. I also have some cocktail recipes in the back, which I went back and forth about because I don't typically make a cocktail during the week when I'm making dinner. It's, you know, something that will slow me down. 
my schedule's too packed to be making a margarita on a Tuesday, but they're super fun. And I wanted people to have those recipes for a Friday night or a weekend to be able to turn to for entertaining. Was it hard to decide on a format, the order in which everything would be presented and how you wanted to structure it? A little bit, because initially I had been shopping around this cookbook proposal, and I'll tell you more about that and how I ended up going a more independent publishing route. But when I was first shopping around this book proposal, it was organized in chapters based on how I meal planned. So it was like the chapters were Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and no one liked that. It was too hard to search for the recipes that way, people said. And if someone had chicken and just wanted to go to the chicken chapter, they were going to be frustrated. So I really asked a lot of people in cooking classes, which is my you know focus group on demand. And I asked friends who cook what they liked in cookbooks and how they liked them organized and what they turned to the most. And that really convinced me that it needed to be in a format that was more like salad recipes, vegetable sides, soups, so that it was easy for people to turn to what they felt like cooking. Or what they like or what their children really like. Yes. And there's a great index in the back of the book. And I learned so much about books and how they're made working on this cookbook. But we had a wonderful freelancer that did the index and she did an amazing job. Well, let's talk about the process of getting this cookbook out into the world. You said you were shopping it. So can we just start at the beginning and you can talk about what that looked like for you? Yes. So I'm a part of an organization and have been for maybe 18 years called the International Association of Culinary Professionals. And it's a huge organization of chefs and food writers and food editors, food stylists, Anything you could think of related to food and food media, there's a group in this larger organization. So whenever I went to the yearly conference, I would meet with different publishers or agents and try to, you know, sell this book. And at some point, it became clear to me that the whole book industry is either focused on people that have huge Instagram followings. So I think like 100,000 followers or more, and that following needs to be engaged. So the publishers will look and say like, okay, they can, who cares if maybe they, and some of those people are amazing food writers, but like they can sell books. So they get a book deal. And then there's people who are in the inside sort of spectrum of the food industry. And I know and have worked with a lot of these people, but I'm not in that playing field anymore because I'm not in San Francisco or LA or New York. And so I kept getting frustrated and I knew that I had a good book with recipes that were ultra tested because I use them in classes. They get tweaked after every class and changed. I knew that I had a good book and I was really confident that it would sell to my cooking class clients. But it's hard to quantify that to a publisher. They they want hard and fast numbers that they know that they have a book that isn't going to fail. So eventually I met someone in Houston and her name is Ronnie Atnip. And she helps chefs and 
different restaurants in Houston and the Junior League in Houston produce beautiful cookbooks. And they're they're not like when you say self-published, I think people think about going maybe to Kinko's and making photocopies of a spiral bound book. I independently produced this book and I paid for it myself through my cooking school. But it's a book with a team of an amazing book designer, an amazing editor, an amazing proofreader. So there was a whole team of people that worked on this that are professionals in the book industry. And it was ultra tested. Every recipe was tested by my cooking school students. And so in the end, because I went that route, I was able to say, I want to photograph with every recipe. And I cooked the food for those photographs and styled the food. And I was able to decide which recipes maybe I was, there were a couple I was tired of by the time we were really working on the end of the book and they got pulled from the cookbook. So I had complete creative control and I'm so proud of that. It was really a labor of love. And in the midst of this, I was approached by a publisher to do a college cookbook. And we had a couple, and I was going to do it at the same time as I was doing my Smart in the Kitchen cookbook. And in the process of our phone call conversations about the book, I realized I wouldn't be at the photo shoots. I would have zero control of what the photos look like. I would have zero control of the design of the book. And they would own the rights to all the recipes and all of the content. And I would get paid a very paltry sum. And so I I turned it down because it's it's really I've been working, you know, in recipes and writing for over 20 years and I feel like I wanted to be in control of what that looked like with my name on it. I totally get that and I know Ronnie myself personally actually before I started working with her on cookbooks because her husband and my husband used to work together. And so then the first time that she knew that I was doing more of the writing about books and things like that. She approached me. And so your cookbook is the third one that I have worked with her on in terms of helping with marketing and, you know, doing interviews and things like that. And she just does an amazing job. So yes, I agree with you. While you did shepherd the whole thing through and it is independently published, it is not a spiral bound book from Kinko's. (laughs) It is stunning and it is everything is beautiful about it. I have been recommending it to everyone. I think it would make a great gift at the holidays or even for Mother's Day, you know, just any different time, because I think a lot of people are looking for these types of recipes. I think so, too. It's funny. I had I was looking for a book agent at one point. This was like five years ago to sell a cookbook. And I had an interview, a phone interview with an agent in New York who will remain unnamed. I really like her, but we just had a different kind of approach to cooking. And she said, I really don't think anyone needs one more tomato soup recipe. And I said, I I totally disagree because I think I've seen people in my cooking classes want those new recipes of old favorites in a way that's maybe slightly tweaked, or I take out steps that people don't need, or I use one less pot. They don't have to clean, you know, just I think if there's any way to make an old favorite better, that people are interested still. I think that's exactly right. And when I was speaking to one of the groups last week and we talked about your cookbook, then the whole group started talking about your emails and how you send out weekly meal plans and everybody waits on those and they plan according to that. So you clearly have built up a brand that a lot of people are relying on. And so I'm sure your cookbook would be something that 
would be really appealing to people. I love hearing that because sometimes I am sitting here writing my weekly meal plan on my blog and I feel like I'm in a vacuum. Like I know that people subscribe to it because I can see the number of people that get those emails. And I love sharing with people really what I'm making during the week. But sometimes I sit here and think, is anyone really reading this? So I love hearing that. (laughs) A whole lot of people are reading it because it was a big focus of conversation once we finished talking about dinner is done. So that should make you happy. I love that. Well, what surprised you the most during the creation of the actual cookbook? I'm sure the early parts of the trying to pitch the book and all of that were surprising. But when you actually got to the part of working with Ronnie and creating the cookbook, what surprised you the most? I think so many things. And a lot of them, honestly, were like such wonderful, pleasant surprises. So I went into this process like really nervous because... I knew the recipes were good. I love to write. I was excited to write all of the content myself because I know and have worked with a ton of, you know, restaurant chefs or kind of celebrity chefs that hire writers for their cookbooks. So I was proud of the writing and doing that myself. But I was so nervous about the production of the book. So I was I was petrified that I was going to be the food stylist for the photos because For big books, there's a professional food stylist that's hired that might even bring in a prop stylist to to source all the plates and the napkins and everything to make those photos beautiful. So when I, I feel like I moved into the photo studio, Deborah Smale was our food photographer who I absolutely adore. And I think she's such a creative genius. I felt like I moved in with her in her studio for six months. We would photograph twice a week. She likes a day in between to kind of edit what we did the day before and just have a creative break before the next day. So we started shooting in January of 2022 and finished in the very beginning of June, 2022. That's a lot of photography. A lot of photography. (laughs) Normally when people do books, they do two weeks of photography. Like you might fly if you're, if you are lucky enough to have any type of creative input in your photographs for your cookbook, you'll fly to LA or New York and you get to be on set in the studio for two weeks while they shoot everything. And they'll do like 10 recipes a day and have a team cooking and styling and, and knocking those out. Deborah did not want to do more than five photos a day because she wanted them to be special and beautiful. And I was really nervous about this whole process. I was like laying awake at night. I've never been an anxious person. I'm pretty mellow. I was having serious anxiety waking up in the night. Like, how is this? How am I going to maintain my business and be in a photo studio downtown twice a week where I'm cooking and styling and bringing all the props back and forth and then getting to, you know, across town to pick up my daughter from school. But it's weird. And, you know, I mean, we have a similar background in Houston. I'm a very spiritual person and I would write about it in my prayer journal. I would ask for help and guidance. And every time I did that, like my prayers were (laughs) were answered and I felt like really led in the whole process. And sorry, I'm getting emotional. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. 
I just felt like so much of this book really was answered prayers. I wanted to share my recipes with more people. I wanted to teach them all those tips and tricks that I teach in cooking classes. So on each recipe, there's a tip at the top of the page, and it might be something I would share in a class. But I mean, just going back to that process of the photography, like it all was great. And it was such a creative, fun process. And I think that's also part of jumping into something you've never done before. It's a it's nerve wracking because you don't know what you don't know. But the second we started working together, I realized everyone on my team was super like we just all worked really well together. And like we saved, for instance, we saved the soup chapter for last to photograph because they said soups are so hard to photograph everything sinks to the bottom. It's hard to get a good shot. Like the garnishes that you put on top will wilt and look kind of droopy and gross. So we left that chapter for the last and we knocked it out in two days. Like I think we ended up doing six recipes a day for that chapter because by that point I had learned enough about what looked good and what didn't and what was going to photograph well that we knocked it out. And just the process of styling that whole book, I learned so much. I bet that had to be so much fun at times or maybe throughout the whole thing. What was the most fun aspect of it? It was act- It was so fun to go to the studio because I work from home. So I teach from home unless I'm teaching classes somewhere else and I write here. And so I don't have that routine anymore of going to the office. So I would get so excited to go to the photo studio because I would roll into HEB to get my curbside delivery of ingredients for the day, get to drive downtown to the super creative, funky loft space. And you'd walk in and there was always like cool music playing and the coffee was going and it was like filtered, beautiful lighting. (laughs) And there was a kitchen in the studio. So we would cook in the studio and unload everything. And then we would play with table upon table of props. So I moved in a ton of my own props. And then the photographer has a whole prop closet that goes from floor to ceiling with different items. And we just pull out everything that we thought was cool and play with what would look good and then think about what we already had in each chapter. But it was really fun to work on the photography. And it was the part that I was the most afraid of. I have found that to be the way things work for me as well. There are things that you haven't done before and you're so nervous about them. And you look back later and you're like, why was I so nervous? This is actually a ton of fun and it's something I really enjoy doing. But I think that you don't know what you don't know. And so it's always nerve wracking until you dive in. Yes, absolutely. The thing that's actually been the hardest for me is the marketing of the book because I'm not a natural salesperson, but you have to share about the book if people are going to learn about it. And I'm so much more comfortable with other people sharing on my behalf, like someone who loves the book or follows me online, like go to town and share with all of your friends. But it's not my strong suit to sort of get on TV and sell the book. And I've done it, but it exhausts me. (laughs) It is. It's nerve wracking to try to promote yourself, I think. Mm -hmm. For sure. I get that. Well, do you have a favorite recipe in the book? 
So that is the question. It's so funny. A friend of mine who did a book a couple of years ago, she said, get ready to pick your favorite recipe because everyone is going to ask you. <laughs> I was like, what? But I feel like I have a favorite in each chapter and I won't go through all of those, but I do love, I love the kale Caesar recipe, which is on the cover. I love the rotisserie chicken and wild rice soup with leeks. It's one of my favorite soups. I think I could do a whole soup cookbook because we had to eliminate about 20 extra soup recipes because I love soups. But I think one of my favorite recipes from the book is probably most likely it's the it's a black bean crusted tri-tip. And it's one of the recipes that's been on my blog for years. And I learned how to make it from a friend of my husband's who's half Puerto Rican and half Korean. And it is an Asian fermented black bean sauce. So it's actually soybeans that get bottled for different like Asian sauces that you can use it for. But if you just put a little bit of that fermented black bean sauce on tri-tip, and grill it like something magical happens. And it's like a three ingredient recipe. I make it all the time when we have big, like I made it for all of my daughter's friends last year when they were here for a senior dinner. I've made it for, you know, football teams and family gatherings. People always love it. And it takes about two seconds to put together. I'm pretty sure that's one of the recipes you shared with me when I did a cooking class with you at my house when you came and we did a salmon and I think we did that and my husband loves it. I love that. I like, if you like red meat, everyone loves that recipe. Now that the cookbook's been out for a little bit, have you had feedback from readers about which recipes they're really enjoying or has it not been long enough yet? Yes. And I love, I get a lot of those through DM on Instagram and people will share pictures like a grandmother that was babysitting sent me a picture of her granddaughter eating the spinach lasagna and I'll get pictures of, you know, kids eating vegetables that they've never eaten before. And I, I feel like I get a few of those each day and I've been saving them to a file in my phone because I love getting those. Well, that would be such a fun way to promote as well, because, you know, you could use some of those and say, okay, I've been hearing from people and these are the recipes they're enjoying. Yes, totally. I should share that because I love seeing what people gravitate to and make also. Like, I'm like, oh, that's interesting that that's the first recipe you went to, you know? Absolutely. Are you seeing a trend yet or has it just been a variety of things as people send them in? Just a variety of a little bit of everything. Nothing in particular has been like the runaway hit yet. It's not been long yet either. So, but that makes sense. And that's even better if people are pulling from all different recipes. I hope so. And I just love, I really wanted this to be a book that people used. So we talked about that a lot when we were designing the book, like the size of the book and the paper, like the paper has a little bit of a heavier weight that I won't say it's wipeable, but it's like a coated paper, not, you know, one of those beautiful kind of I don't know what the word is, but uncoated papers, but it's a usable book that I'm hoping people will have in their kitchens. I do think the size is nice. When I first received the book, I was like, oh, it's a little smaller. And I think that's great. It's a, it's a nice usable size, fits in the kitchen easier. It's not taking up a ton of space on the cabinet. So I think that was a good plan. Yes. We talked about that. I was, I had this phrase I kept saying, it's not a coffee table book. It's a kitchen book. Like I want it to be in the kitchen. 
And we actually already started our second printing. It's on the presses right now. But one thing we've talked about doing for our third printing, if we have one, which I hope we do, is doing a few really beautifully bound, like a white spiral. Because some people saw my my review copies that we would get from the printer when we had to make sure everything looked good were with this really big spiral bound binding. And people keep asking me when they see those, if they can buy one of those, because it lays perfectly flat open in your kitchen. And it's so funny because I would have never thought that would have been something people wanted, but I think hopefully we will print those in our third printing. Well, that's exciting and kind of fun. And you're right. It does open flat when you have a spiral binding like that. Yes. And I thought for a second, I was like, oh, oh, well, that'll probably be faster and easier to produce. But no, I guess they're just as expensive and take just as long to produce. (laughs) Of course, right? (laughs) Nothing is easy these days, I feel like. No, like we were actually supposed to launch the cookbook in mid-October so that it would be ready for Roundtop which is, you know, the big antique fair outside of Houston, in between Houston and Austin. And I was planning on doing some events up there during Roundtop, but there were paper delays and shortages. So it was not available at that point, but that's okay. It all worked out perfectly. And I've been loving seeing how you're all over Houston. So that's really fun, all these different events. And as I was talking with you ahead of time, we're going to make sure we have your book at our salon in December. And every time I mention it to people, they're like, oh, I have one or I'm going to get one. So definitely you've done a great job of making sure you're out and about places. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful to to a lot of the local Houston businesses that are carrying the book and promoting it. And I just feel really grateful all around. Well, before we talk about where people can find you and find your cookbook, what cookbooks would you recommend? One of my favorite cookbooks is Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and it really breaks down flavors and talks about cooking techniques. And the writer's a really accomplished chef and has worked at a lot of restaurants in Northern California. I also love, there's a cookbook called The Vineyard Kitchen, which is another Northern California chef. And it's divided, it's an older cookbook. It might be 20 years old, but it's divided into seasons which I love. So when it's cold and cozy and you want to search for like a yummy stew, you can search by season. And I also love, there's so many great cookbooks, like literally this could be a whole other podcast episode because I think you've seen my cookbook collection. Maybe it's like 300 books or more. We were talking about that at the meeting as well. That's so funny that you mentioned it because Lori Fisher was saying, oh, you've got to see her cookbook collection. Like she's like, do you want to see it? And then you're just like, I had no idea it was going to be so many books. So that's pretty great. (laughs) There are so many great books. And I feel like cookbooks are a work of art. Really, they're so fun to open and look at. Like I love Dory Greenspan's books for desserts. Um, I love Alice Waters books. There are so many amazing cookbooks out there. Well, great. Well, I want to make sure people can find your amazing cookbook. So will you tell me where people can find Dinner is Done? Yes. So they can search for Dinner is Done on Amazon, or they can go to Smart in the Kitchen School. And at the top of my school website, there's a link to purchase the cookbook. Great. I think you have a deal where if you buy four, you get one free on your website, correct? Yes, that is correct. If you buy four, you get one free. And we ship those out and get them to you quickly. 
At the top of Smart in the Kitchen School, you can click the link to buy the cookbook. And if you order before December 18th, it will be available and shipped for Christmas. But we do have that buy for get one free, which has been really popular. That was my editor Ronnie's idea. And it has been such a great way to ship out tons of books. Well, I think it makes such a great gift for the holidays. And so I'm sure if somebody's looking for something like that, to be able to get five for the price of four is perfect. Yes, I've been excited about that. And then you mentioned that you have a blog, Smart in the Kitchen, which is where we can also find the cookbook. But you're also on Facebook and Instagram. Also, it's Smart in the Kitchen, correct? Yes, those are both um, Smart in the Kitchen. And the blog, I share meal plans every Sunday. I share what I'm really making for my family. And also on my school site, I have some free downloads for recipe books and meal planners and things like that. Okay, great. Well, I'm sure everybody's going to be excited to find you and start cooking according to all of your yummy recipes. Thank you so much. Well, Marsha, thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.